0: I'm Steve Fisher. When Heidi Connolly's husband Randy died, she found her world destroyed. But after he visited her one night, she found a new direction as a vacationing angel. She's my guest on Life Slices. So we're here today with Heidi Connolly. Heidi, I have a very difficult question to ask you at first. Who is Heidi (laughs) Connolly?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, Actually, um, I probably have an answer that you've never heard before. Uh, I am a vacationing angel, as you are, as we all are. So what that means is Heidi Connolly, the human, who lives in a biodegradable human suit, uh, is really a spiritual entity. And as such, I chose to come into this world as a nice Jewish girl from Boston who uh, chose to play the flute and go to Harvard and do life and have kids and all that, and who slowly learned that she made these choices from an angelic perspective, from a spiritual perspective. And then she got down here and she said, oh my God, what did I do? I was not meant to be here. I think I'm from another planet altogether. Uh, And after many, many years, I realized that I am a spiritual being. And from that perspective, I am on vacation. So this is my vacation, because I get to eat an apple and listen to the ocean and have sex and, you know, do all the things with all my human senses. That's who Heidi Connolly is on a spiritual note. Uh, From the perspective of a human with an identity and an ego, I could give you a long list.
0: So wait a minute. I want to go back to one thing. You implied that angels, when they are in their angelic form, do not have sex. Is that true? Yes. Okay, I'm not going not,
1: not physical sex, not physical sex, they could probably have angelic sex. I don't know what quite what that would look like. I'm gonna to have to wait a while to find out. But uh, there's energetic connections throughout the universe. And I don't think spirit is any different. Right. But I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know whether they'd go into an orgasmatron like you know. Whoa, would. Oh, okay.
0: Then maybe I do want to go to heaven. All right. This is sounding better and better all the time. Okay. So so you have, as you said, you have a number of gifts. You're an author, a musician, a medium, an intuitive coach. Which one do you treasure above all others?
1: I, I, I treasure my, the, the part of me that is the biggest part, the heart-centered, loving part. I don't I don't treasure what I do, any part of what I do, over any other part of what I do. I treasure who I am.
0: If anybody goes to your website, which we'll give you a chance to tout later, but you are a very talented musician. You are an excellent flautist. I never understood why a flutist is a flautist.
1: I have never either, because I don't play a flaut.
0: You play flute, right. Yes, so you exactly. are a flutist. Exactly. But, but yet... People pronounce it flautist, but we can get sidetracked if we. <laughs> yeah, we, we're we going to go that. down that road. No, <laughs> so, yeah. but you are a very talented musician, and and you didn't always stay on that path. What happened? What knocked you off that path? I
1: started playing the flute when I was five. Uh, I've had large hands, and I said to my mother, "I want to play that." And I t- looked at the TV, and I pointed to it, and she got me a flute. And then she started me at the conservatory for lessons and piano and all this stuff. And I I just loved the flute. I loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. When I, I wanted to go to music school, my parents said no. I needed a liberal arts degree. I ended up at Harvard because my flute teacher was with the Boston Symphony and I didn't want to leave the area. So I had no idea what Harvard would be. I had I was Little Miss Naive. I did not understand what kind of environment it would be. And I didn't understand how anti-Heidi-like it would be. And I was going to school with Yo-Yo Ma. And uh, he was in my class and he was playing next to me. And it pretty much freaked me out. I mean, my self-esteem was pretty low when I went into school and it didn't help. So then I went to New York to continue studying and become professional, and I hurt my jaw, and I stopped playing.
0: You hurt your jaw. Correct. That that was not connected to the flute playing, was it? It
1: was, actually, because I have what I call a side embouchure, which is instead of... uh, I know you can see me, but instead of the little um, hole of the mouth position coming out straight, it went sideways. And that was fine when I was playing two or three hours a day. But when you start playing five, six, seven hours a day, I became, I had extreme TMJ, temporomandibular joint syndrome, and I stopped playing for many years.
0: Yeah, I could see how that would be difficult for a a flute flautist. Yes. Now, one one of your key identifying factors is you are a medium. To those out there who don't understand these types of things. What is a medium?
1: It's a great question because for that very reason, people really don't understand. It's a label that I'm not particularly comfortable with, uh, but it's a label that you need. We need labels just to understand people in this society. So people think it's the same as psychic and psychic is more perceiving information from another human being. And mediumship is receiving information from the spirit world, the angelic realm, etc. the universe is, and I think we've talked about this personally before, but is there really a difference? How do I know where I'm getting the information? I'm only human. I don't know. But if I'm not knowing you personally, and I know nothing about you, I'm getting information from the spirit world. I hear what they're telling me. I believe it's coming from them. I learned information I couldn't get anywhere else. And so that is my belief and assumption. But I think it would be pretty egocentric of me to think that I know, right? That I know and everybody else might not know. I, I just can't say that, but that's my personal belief.
0: Now, how does it come across? I mean, for people who are wondering, do you hear a voice in your head? Is it some other, you know, it's like a, like a blackboard in your your head where writing appears, or how how do you get these impressions?
1: There are many ways it happens for people. I am clairsentient, which means most of the time I feel the information, which is extremely challenging to get validation for that. It would be so much easier, Steve, if I saw spirits hanging around. If I was like, oh, I see your grandmother, I see your you know, it would be easy because they would be like human beings sitting there. And I know plenty of people who do that. It would also be easy if I heard directly um, that I know it's this voice or that voice. But I feel the information first. I get a sense. I feel it through my body. I see it in my mind's eye. So I'm not seeing it externally. And I sort of download the information and I'll see, I've developed a uh, kind of a spirit dictionary, a symbol dictionary. So if someone shows up uh, in, the cert- in a business suit, I know this wasn't a manual labor. That's just my signal to myself, that my symbol. And so that's generally how, through feelings and internal voice.
0: So you do, you do hear some kind of a voice in, in, in your head. Often. Okay. So yes. how, when did you first discover you had this ability?
1: After my husband, Randy, died about nine years ago, he I was really despondent and I was really angry at him for leaving. And I was really angry that I knew a couple of people who could hear him and I couldn't because I figured I had no ability to do that. I never felt that I had any ability, even though I would have loved it. And then one night he woke me up and out of a sound sleep at 3 a.m. And he said, get out your pen and paper. We're going to write a book. And that night, we literally wrote a book together.
0: So the spirit world doesn't have uh, clocks; they have no sense of time, do they? <laughs> Three in the morning. I mean, couldn't they have waited for you to wake up in the morning?
1: Uh, I actually, they there is no linear time. That's our precon, our misconception as humans. But they also are very aware of us. So if I I have a contract with the spirit world now that says. Listen, guys, don't wake me up in the middle of the night because I'm trying to sleep. So don't wait, you know, don't uh, show up in my car when I'm driving because I may get distracted. So I don't deal with that stuff. But at the time, I had such trouble sleeping. I cried my life away. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And that's how he got my attention. He needed to get my attention. And that's what the spirit will do. They'll do it through music. Through humor, through uh, signs and signals, and he needed to yell at me and wake me up to get my attention and say, "You can listen to me, Heidi. Listen to me. I'm talking to you, but your grief is keeping you from hearing me." So he got my attention.
0: So I'm sure now. How how did you write a book together?
1: It was pitch black. I felt around for my notebook and my pen, and I am a writer, so that part doesn't seem that strange. It's not like I'd never written or edited before. However, I just opened to a page and I couldn't see, but I started hearing messages in rhyme. And Randy was a poet of sorts, but I never rhymed anything. I mean, ever. I don't even really like poetry. I know that it's probably not very PC, but I don't. And so I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And after about an hour, I fell asleep. I just passed out. And in the morning, I had 20 or so poems. And what he told me after that, as we began to have discussion, that the poems were, were a conversation that we had never had when he was dying that we were having that conversation that I needed to have with him. And he needed to teach me how to develop a relationship with him now that he was on the other side. And that the only thing that was keeping me from it was my grief. And so this is how to let it go. So it went from the poems sort of go from anger, all the stages of Kubler-Ross grief, you know, just right through it. And, And that's what the book ended up being. But it literally downloaded, except for the prologue it downloaded that night.
0: One of the things you do is grief counseling. Does your medium ability, is that what helps with your grief counseling?
1: When, When someone passes, the human is often left with feelings of tremendous pain around guilt, a sense, of course, a major sense of loss, but a sense that they weren't enough, they didn't do enough. They didn't get to say final words. They didn't get to say goodbye. So many things that we're left with. From a spiritual perspective, from a spirit's perspective, that's not the case at all. They cross over and boom, you know, they're in unconditional love. They see us as perfect. They know that we did everything we could. They, they're they not angry at all. But for a lot of people, they want to hear specifics from spirit. It's not enough to say, oh, don't feel guilty. No, we want to hear what does the spirit feel about what you specifically did to be there for them? Not to feel guilty, to heal, to, to develop a sense of loss in the greater perspective. A spirit is choosing to go at that time, however unresolved it appears to be to us.
0: Now that you have this ability to connect with spirits, has it changed your view of death?
1: Absolutely. I have always believed in a spirit. I just had no experience. And my husband was a very spiritual being who channeled lots of interesting things. And I always thought, well, that's so cool, but what does it really mean? And is it really true? I guess I always assumed when I died, there would be more, but I didn't know what that was. And I still really don't know what that is. I only think I do. And I still have the same human fear of how the death will come about. None of us particularly want to have pain or lie in a coma for you know three years. Other than that, I have no fear around dying because I'm perfectly aware of my other lifetimes, a lot of them. I'm perfectly aware I'll be with not only my dead husband, but every other being in my soul family that's ever been in existence. So I have no fear around death. And that's part of what changes for people. They start to really understand that they the greater perspective and, and that they are meant to be happy. Spirit wants us to be happy here, to live life in this body on vacation.
0: I'm hoping that the other side is as fun as it seems it might be.
1: I think it is. They are really funny. Like your father.
0: My father, yeah. I I'm right, I mean,
1: he's he is so funny. He just cracks me up. He's always there with you and he's always laughing. And he says you have his laugh too.
0: I, and I have his, his jokes.
1: He says you don't deliver those quite as well.
0: He and I are going to have to have a talk later. When you first discovered your ability, were you uncomfortable with it? What, what made you decide to use it to help others?
1: There are two parts to this. One, I was miserably uncomfortable with myself until I learned about my gift and how it was affecting me. I was high depressed highly anxious. I had panic attacks. I had allergies. I had reactions to everything. I had, I, being in crowds was difficult. I had a lot of those. I was hypersensitive. I was too emotional. I was, and that's what I heard my whole life. As soon as someone said to me, these are indicators of your gift. The more you listen, the less they'll bother you. I didn't understand what that meant, but then I started to live with it and it's true. I am no longer depressed, I'm no longer anxious. When I'm getting a message, if I'm not paying attention, that's when I start to sneeze or cough or my heart starts to pound because I'm in resistance. Now that I'm flowing with my gifts and they're not curses and they're not just sensitivities I should be blocking, I'm fine, (laughs) I'm a happy camper. And the other part of that is, I didn't particularly want to be out there sharing. But like I said, my husband is kind of loud. And he said, start a meetup. And I said, what's a meetup? So this was four years ago. And he said, just do it. And I started at the library. I put an ad in the paper. I live in a town of 3,000 people. It just said, abandon afterlife meetup. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but I felt like it was just to share my story about my book. And two people came and then four and then six and then 50. And every month when I did a free meetup at the library, I'd have, you know, really big gatherings because people want to know. There are so many people having experiences and they lie about it, they shut it down, they're high-sensitives, they don't want to be in crowds, they're crying, They're all those things. And I started making sense to people that you don't have to live like that. There are ways I have tools and techniques, so you don't have to live like that. You don't have to block out the world. So that's why I started to do it. And then people started to want to see me more and more and more for help.
0: So when somebody gets with you for a private session, what happens? How does, how does that unfold?
1: Generally, I want to know very little about the person. I don't want any preconceived notions. I meditate before the session and I ask spirit to give me the information that I need that's in the best interest of all concerned. I I take my integrity in the process very seriously to heart. So it's in the best interest of me, the client, our spirit teams and source. And that means that I will always have a human filter. So I might not be getting the information or receiving it correctly all the time. But my goal is to share whatever they want to share with us as humans. So the person comes in, and I have it all written down. And I give them a sense of what I'd like to share. And then I start to ask them what they're looking for. And then we go back and forth, and I get validation. So maybe I get the name, the date, I get whatever information I get. And by my asking them, "Is this true?" then I get to know I'm tapping into the right spirit.
0: What are people's reactions when you get that information from their spirit guides or
1: It's the oh, it runs the gamut.
0: When you were talking about my dad, that was exactly what he would say.:
1: I have people who come in who want to test me. They're skeptics. That's what they call themselves. And that's fine. I the spirit world doesn't present me with people, bring them up close into my field if if it's not going to be a positive experience in some way, a learning experience. So I know that my house, for example, no one comes in my house if they're not if they don't have love in their heart. It just isn't going to happen. So I trust that. That's first and primary. If someone comes in, I can tell how skeptical they are because they'll basically have their lips sealed they don't want me to know anything. They don't want to nod. They don't want to move their bodies because they're afraid if they do, I'm gonna be reading them and then I'm gonna be getting the information from them. And I understand that, I suppose there's that. And then when I tell them, um, you know, I'm really getting the feeling that your mother is here and that uh, she loved to bake. And when you were in the kitchen with her, oh my God, she's telling me that you spilled the blah, 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 blah. And then they start to say, oh my God, how did you know that? And I can't say how I knew it. And then this is the important part, Steve, for me. That's not the important part. The important part is then, how does this help you in your life? How does opening the door to this awareness and hearing from your mother help you have more joy in your life? It's not about the fact that I'm talking to spirit. It's about the fact that you've been blocking everybody has the ability to do it. So what are you resisting in your life? And what can I help you with in your life? And then I have people who are very high sensitive and they'll say to me, well, I see spirit all the time, but I'm afraid of it. And then we talk about that and how to open up to it without fear, which is really big for people.
0: Does everybody have spirits around them and just aren't aware of it? Are is there such a thing as a person who is, has no team on the other side?
1: No. Everyone has a team. We all have a soul family. It's very large, goes back lots and lots. And it's our spirit guides, they're not always related to us directly as in genetic descendants. We all have them. The more shut down a human is, the more rigid, the more fearful, defensive, angry, disillusioned, addictive those kinds of negative energies, the less they will be able to hear from their guides and spirit team, because those are blocks. They're just filters that say, it's all resistance. I'm not going to hear you because spirit teams are loving entities. They just want to love us and help us. So if we don't want to hear them, there are lots of ways that we can avoid it. None of them are going to be healthy for us, but we can do it.
0: What usually comes out of your sessions? What What do you see as the end results when you work with people?
1: I see, this is interesting, because I'm moving in a couple of weeks, I have many of my clients getting in touch with me, sending me emails and calling me and saying, do you remember five years ago you told me my daughter was going to get married and that she was going to meet this man and it wouldn't work and then it would... and I don't know if I really remember that, but she says they are married and she didn't think she'd ever love him. And she does. And oh my God, they have children. And I don't prophesize. So that's, that doesn't even seem like something I would have said, but if the spirit told me to say it, I said it. So, okay. I went to the dentist. The first spirit I ever spoke to after Randy, my husband was someone who told me to go talk to the dentist about and give her a message. And I, really? You want me to talk to my dentist? And of course, it made perfect sense to the dentist. So I get these, you've changed my life. I, I, and I really don't say this from an ego place. I, I hope you hear that. My heart, I'm so blessed and I'm so honored. This isn't about me. It's about me hearing so that I can help people feel love themselves. And they say, I don't have to block out the world anymore. I know who I am. I can be me. I can talk with my authentic voice. I don't have to be afraid that people are going to hate me for it or, or tell me I'm crazy anymore. I'm learning how to live with who I am and see myself as a gift and someone who has gifts. And so those are the kinds of, of things I hear all the time.
0: Are there any people who come to you And are so resistant that they walk out angry or do you tend to conversion isn't the right necessarily the right word, but do you convert people to believe and and to be more comfortable in what you are sharing with them?
1: I have had two or three experiences. I would say that were, I had, I do some couples coaching and the people usually come in angry, right? It's almost like pre-divorce counseling and- but I'm different. First of all, I'm very not threatening. If Heidi Connolly threatens you, there's, you know, I'm the least threatening person on the planet. And right away, I think people sense that I'm not here to take a side. I'm not here to evaluate them or judge them. I'm here to share what I what I get and to love them through that information. So I've had a session that was supposed to be an hour end up three and a half. And by the time they left, they were holding hands and And had a breakthrough. I had one guy come who seemed to be having a major epiphany. And then I contacted him a few weeks later, as I was guided to do. And I said, I just wanted to check in. And he said, he decided that I was wrong about everything. And that's, that was a good experience. People aren't always ready to hear what they hear. And so I was right at the time. Was I right for him at the moment? Obviously not. And so that's okay, too. I don't, I don't push people. That's not my style. So they can take it or leave it. But I don't usually have those experiences. Most people come and go with very positive outcomes because that's what they're looking for
0: if people want to work with you they don't have to be physically in your vicinity correct
1: no not at all in my editing writing self-publishing business which is harvard girl word services i've worked with people all over the world there are a lot of negatives to the internet one might say uh social media but this is not one of them we get to work with anyone look at you and me we're just talking like this right so it's the same thing with mediumship. I. Phone, Skype, Zoom, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Energy flows. If I'm tapping into energy, how could I possibly say you have to be right in front of me? I mean, to me, that would undermine the whole basis of the, of the premise of the theory.
0: You're not a fortune teller, but you, can you get a sense of people's futures?
1: I'd say it's something that I don't ask to do. When I'm given something, I share it. So one of those very skeptical women who's now become a long-time wonderful friend and client, I said to her, I don't normally do this, but there's someone named Bill who's gonna call you and he's gonna really need your help. Now, I wasn't getting that from her or Bill. This spirit was telling me to say that. And then the next day, and she just said, oh, whatever. The next day she called me, my neighbor Bill called me, his wife fell off the roof and they needed help getting her to the hospital. So is that telling the future? In my humble opinion, I'm not really telling the future. I'm still hearing what spirit is guiding me to say, and it happens to be happening in this linear functioning world in our future. I said to a young woman, there's going to be someone named Billy in your life, and that's who you're going to love. And so wait, you know, and she's, she just waited for Billy. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I try not to tell the future, if you know what I mean. It's not part of what the spirit world needs from us. We don't want to know the future. Do we really want to know the future? We think we do, but then we would just screw around with it to change it.
0: Well, I, I know one thing that I, I think you'd like to tell people is how do they get in touch with you?
1: It's very easy. HeidiConnelly.com. <laughs> and it's C-O-N-N. O-L-L-Y. And uh, how else? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Vacationing Angel is another name that comes up for me because that is what we all are. And uh, my books, I'll say, talk about being a vacationing angel.
0: And you can get your books on your website too.
1: You can. You can get the book I wrote with Randy after he died. And you can get a pre-publication version of my new book, which is a novel called The Gateway Cafe, which is where all the angels hang out before they come down here on vacation.
0: Heidi, thank you so much for being on Life Slices. I truly appreciate it. And I hope that uh, somebody out there will get some good motivation to get some help from what's around them.
1: That would be great. I have really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios.